welcome to All Talk Oncology. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And today, as, as always, we have another phenomenal guest on the show. We, this time, we're, we're taking it back. You know, we have always, we always have adults on here. But today, we have a treat. We have someone that is a little younger than adult, a young lady getting ready to going into adulthood. So that's a, that's a nice thing. But when you think about, you know, childhood type cancers, how do kids fare with that? How does that work? You know, they're so young and, and not developed in understanding in that way, but yet sometimes they're the most resilient. And so today we have Jess Rosenblum and her mother, Karen Trainoff. Let us welcome them to the show today. Thanks, Kenny, so much for having us. Oh, yes. Jess, thank you so much. Karen, thank you. Thank you, ladies, for, for gracing and blessing us with your, your presence today. Thank you for having it's us. It's great to be here. Oh, thank you. You know, as always, I, I just like to jump right into it. You know, you know Jess, you were diagnosed with a, a, brain, a brain tumor at a young age, right? Um, tell us a little bit about that because, you know, as adults, it's already hard enough just to kind of deal with, you know, the, the news that you have cancer. Uh, and then, wow, as a, as a youngster, do you remember how that came about when you were young at 10? I think it was 10, was it? Yeah, 10 years old. Um, so in late 2013, uh, when I was 10, I was experiencing severe headaches and uh, nausea and vomiting, um, which prompted my parents to take me in. Um, and after a CT scan in the emergency department, I was diagnosed with a brainstem glioma, which is a type of brain tumor. Um, and at the time, you know, I was so young that I, I didn't understand what exactly it was. And I didn't know what my life was about to become because everything was about to change, you know? And I, I really had no idea what was coming um, in those next few months and those next few years even. Um, so after my diagnosis, I went through multiple major brain surgeries um, as well as nine rounds of chemotherapy um, with multiple, you know, blood tests and scans and tests and unfortunately many complications that arose from my treatment and um, my, my tumor. So I ended up uh, suffering a TIA stroke uh, after I had tumor growth while I was on chemo. The chemo didn't work as well as we had hoped and I ended up needing to have a very large surgery that we didn't think was possible at first, but thankfully uh, my amazing neurosurgeon was able to go in there for what, eight, eight hours and uh, wow. debulk most of the tumor. So that was in uh, April of 2014, so quite, quite a while ago. Um, and thankfully he was able to remove most of it, not all of it, um, but since then the remaining portion of the tumor that is still there today has been stable. Um, there has been no growth, just complete stability, thankfully. So I have been off uh, cancer treatment uh, since then. Oh my goodness. I mean, you just speak about it so eloquently, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's wow. I mean, that, that is huge, eight hours of surgery you know, and, and then trying to get through that. 
let me ask you, Karen. I mean, as you were seeing, you know, just going, having these symptoms, you know, what was your thought process as you were getting ready to kind of go through this, uh, taking her to the physician and, and before you were uh, finally, before you found out she was diagnosed with cancer? Well, it had been a, a couple of weeks of sort of on and off, sort of what seemed like mild, vague symptoms. She did have headaches on and off, nothing that was really severe and nothing that was really constant. So there was no sort of emergency bells going off in the first part of those couple of weeks. But over time, you know, we saw that the the symptoms were getting more frequent, they were getting closer together. She wasn't a child who ever really complained of headaches before that. And I then my sort of spidey sense started to, to really sort of stand up and say, you know what, something's not right here. But it was, we had planned to sort of take her and it was the weekend to take her in to have it checked. And she came in um, and woke us in the morning, very early around, you know, four or five in the morning and said, I feel sick, I'm going to be sick. And once she was, and she actually felt better, she got relief from that, then we knew something was really wrong. Something just didn't seem right. She didn't look right. And we took her in right away. And, um, and that's when it was found. Oh, my goodness. So what do they do? They, they do some type of CT scan and whatnot to kind of locate what this, what the tumor was at? Is, is that what happened? Yeah, they saw right away when they were able to look in her eyes that she had pressure building behind okay. her eyes. And that indicated that there was um, hydrocephalus, there was fluid buildup in her brain. Um, so she was rushed right into a CT scan where they did see a mass on her brain. At that point, they actually weren't sure exactly what kind of mass it was. And she needed to have an MRI done first thing the next morning, early the next morning. And then we were able to have a much better sort of sense of what was going on. But they knew almost immediately when we came into the emergency room that something was very, very wrong. Yeah. So let me ask, so you, you get this news, Karen, and I'm sure they tell you first, right? I mean, mm -hmm. they talk to you, you're the parent. You know, how do you brace yourself now to tell not your daughter, but the rest of your family, you know, this news and, and what is about to happen? It just happens, it happens so, what seemed like so quickly. Um, you know, we were very blessed to be in a large, in a city with a large world-renowned children's hospital. So we were able to get information very quickly. When, and you're right, they did take us aside. Her dad, my husband and I were, were pulled aside into a small room in the middle of the night and told that um, they had found a mass on her brain in the, in the CT scan. And at that moment, it just feels like the, it felt like the, the floor was opening beneath me. It just felt like you were just, I was being sucked into the ground. Um, it was shocking and horrifying. And, um, and Jess was asleep actually in the room right beside us. She had, she had dozed off thankfully. And it just, my heart broke into a million pieces thinking about how I was going to tell her and, and what she would even be able to really understand. I could barely understand it myself in that moment. Um, and we had no idea at that point what that meant, what, how, how scared we should be, um, what was, and really what was ahead for her. We had really no idea at that point. Yeah. So there wasn't any preparation. We, you know, I was able to come in with one of the doctors and we told her that there was, um, they referred to it at that point as a bump on her brain. Mm -hmm. um, that was the language that the doctor used. And I think she under that helped her to understand it better, maybe than the word mass at that point, she was little. Um, 
And from there, there was, you know, we, I answered as many questions as I could as she asked them. And I gave her only as much information as she was asking for at that, uh, that point. So it's not to her. Sure. And Karen and Jess, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a key point, right? Because as a parent, you have to take in consideration the age factor and not truly understanding. And then also as a parent, you're going, well, I don't want to overwhelm my daughter, right? So it's trying to find that balance as you, as you go through that. So tell us, you know, how long after the diagnosis did you start moving forward with treatments? And, and what, was the first, what was the first line of as far as treatments were concerned? Um, well, after my diagnosis, and uh, as my mom mentioned, it was found that I had hydrocephalus, a uh, pretty severe buildup of fluid on, on uh, surrounding the brain. Uh, I needed to have an emergent surgery to relieve that pressure from my brain. So that was the first uh, brain surgery I endured, I think, just days after my diagnosis. And uh, after that, we you know, went on to multiple appointments and uh, the next step was to biopsy the tumor to figure out what what it was and what was going on. So that was a few months, weeks, a few weeks later, um, another brain surgery to to find the pathology of what was going on with me. So that's number two, huh, Jess? Yeah. yeah surgery number two, huh? Yeah, already it was. It moved. It moved really fast. I mean, yeah. fast and slow motion. You know. Um, but after that, my tumor is in a, a very difficult spot. Um, at that point, early on, and when I was first diagnosed, it was actually deemed inoperable um, due to its location in the brain. So the biopsy itself was just to get a you know tiny piece to to pathology was was very difficult, um, and we we didn't get completely conclusive answers mm. as to what it was. Um, but my doctors, who are so experienced and have seen so many cases like mine before, had a pretty good understanding and, and thought of what it was. And um, we went forward with chemo. Um, and I had my portacath placed in my chest, a central line for chemotherapy. And we were told that the best uh, treatment option, chemo-wise, was going to be 70 rounds of chemotherapy, uh, 70 weeks of chemotherapy with one round each week which was, you know, wow. to think as a 10 year old, um, this is going to be the next, you know, year, year and a half of my life is going to be filled with, with chemo. I, 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 I couldn't even understand. So sure. it, yeah, it moved very quickly and uh, we got, we got on the ball pretty fast. Wow. And so Jess, that leads right to, to my next one, right? I mean, here you are, you're a 10 year old, boom, you get two surgeries, you're bouncing back, you know, it's a bump right? It's a bump on your head. And so you, okay. And now you jump into 70 rounds of chemo. My thing is, let me go back as, as a 10 year old, you want to hang out with your friends, right? You want to get out and play whatever you're doing at that time. How did that, all of this affect that? And what kind of support did you get from your friends and, and what you were, where you were feeling at that time? I mean, I always say that, the the part of my cancer diagnosis that was the hardest was not being able to be a kid in you know the prime of my childhood um i had all of my favorite things really taken away from me and 
um, for me, that was mostly being athletic. And I basically lived in my dance studio up until my diagnosis since I was, you know, three years old. And, um, you know, going out just on the playground and on the soccer field with friends and playing at recess at school. And even back then, I loved learning. I loved being at school and learning new things. And I, I wasn't able to do that. I wasn't well enough, you know, to go to school to be to be active, and that was extremely difficult. Um, but thankfully, my friends, even though they were as young as they were, um, were very understanding, and you know, they knew that things were going to be different with me for a little while, and how we had to interact with each other, and we couldn't do the things that you know we maybe would have wanted to do or we would have used to do but they were extremely understanding as well as uh, my family, you know, my aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents were really here at home with me all the time, coming to visit and playing games and watching movies and doing um, as much as they could to make it feel as normal as possible in a time that was so abnormal. Um, and I'm just so, so thankful for everyone who supported me during that time. Oh my goodness, I can only imagine yeah, you know, there's nothing like family, right, Jess? I mean, at that point, you really start to see your family come together. And, you know, the feelings that you may have gone through, I mean, especially you're, you, you know, I, I, I assume ballerina because that's, you know, you, you said since three, but I don't know. What kind of dance were you doing? Um, I did start with ballet, but okay. um, as I got older, five or six, I started doing basically every style of dance, hip hop, acro, jazz. Um, you. At the time of my diagnosis, actually, I was really getting into break dancing. Okay. So uh, <laughs> break dancing and my neurosurgeon did not uh, get along well. Um, he was like, you are absolutely going to be doing none of that. Uh, you know, standing on your head and <laughs> headstands and spinning on your head and all that stuff. He was like, absolutely not. So um, yeah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> you know, Jess, I love that. You know, here you are, you're this athletic young lady and you're dancing, you know, you're learning different styles and, and just exploring. And then boom, this happens to you. You know, you mentioned that it was, it was difficult, but do you recall that one of the most difficult times during that process where it was hard or maybe Karen, you can see some of the things that she was going through. What do you do you remember any time specific that may have been difficult for you? I mean, I can, you know, tell you that I, I saw, you know, what was happening with Jess and her friends. And again, they were they were little. They were, you know, 10 years old. Yeah. Um, they were not old enough to really um, understand it in its, I think it's entirety, but old enough to understand that something was very wrong. So it was, you know, a really difficult stage for them as well. And I had some of their parents reaching out to me asking questions. They didn't know how to talk to their own kids and help them understand mm -hmm. what was even happening with Jess. They just knew she was really sick. Um, and they didn't really understand what that meant or how serious that could be. And having those very big conversations with their children was something really complicated for, for the other parents as well. And so for Jess, you know, she, I saw her trying to, I, you know, help not help them understand as best she could without making their relationship all about her illness. Yes. And she really, 
she kept saying to me, I just want to be Jess. I just want to be me. She, that, she said that over and over and over again. And while she understood that she had limitations and physical stuff she couldn't do, and she certainly wasn't feeling well, that's for sure. Um, she, she didn't want to be identified as, as she used to say, the brain tumor kid. That's yeah. the language she used to, to use. I, she kept saying, I don't want to be that. Yeah. And that was a real challenge for her to figure out how to be Jess in this sort of new world she was living in with all of these limitations, with the unknowns. We did not know what was ahead for her, how that would play out, what kinds of treatments she might need in the future, and what her future even looked like, really, at that point. Sure. Yeah, that, that's a great it's a great description of what you guys were going through, you know. And I, I wonder that feeling, Jess, when you say, man, I just want to be Jess. What was it that you were experiencing that you was like, I just want to be Jess? I think a lot of it was a loss of identity and being so young that I didn't know how to deal with that. Um, losing a part of me or so much of me of who I was and who I identified as, as being, you know, this active kid, a dancer, uh, a friend and all of these things. And now it, it had just felt like all of a sudden that was just stripped away from me. And I was now just a kid in a hospital bed and a kid, you know, at home <clears throat> recovering from surgeries. Um, and that was really difficult. And it felt like, you know, when my friends would talk to me or when they would come over, I worried that, you know, do they still see me as Jess or do they see me now as who I'm seeing in myself as just this kid who's this sick kid, this brain tumor kid? Yeah. Um, or do they still see me like that? It was a big worry thinking, you know, do my friends still remember who I really am? And are they, are they still really seeing that in me? And thankfully they did, they always did. And I always was Jess still, even though for a little bit, I might've been the brain tumor kid or a part of me was the brain tumor kid, but I, I always was Jess inside and out. And thankfully my friends and my family always were able to, to see that in me. Yes. Jess, thank you so much for that. that. That's a beautiful insight. You know, here we are, we, we are inside your head at 10, you know, I love that. And, you know, the mindset, even at, at a, as a 10 year old, you know, there's a battle, it's a battle of things that are going on, you know, emotionally. And so you can see that tug of war, you know, I just want to be Jess, but the person who we have in front of us now is just, it's, it's an amazing thing, you know, and to see how you evolve from, from all of this. And as going back to mom and Karen, so you see this, you, you, you rally, you guys are rallying around Jess and, and things are going well. We have 70 rounds of chemo, you know, talk, talk to me now about, what's happening next in, in this process? And, you know, is there, is there a light at this end of this tunnel? What, what happened next? I mean, that was, it was a terrifying time and it was so unknown. When we heard that um, the, her oncologists were suggesting 70 rounds, 70 weeks of chemotherapy on this tiny little body. Yes. Um, it was in, so hard to wrap our heads around what, what, that would even look like for her, um, you know, would she be able to go to school? Would she be well enough to, you know, keep up with everything she wanted to do 
her and, and in particular education, would she be able to keep up with her friends um, and be able to stay sort of with them and progress with them? We had no idea. And you know, we did the best we could to make sure she had everything in place. We immediately, you know, my my full-time job became advocating for her and making sure I understood as best I could what this new language was that we were hearing, what this new world was that we were living in and how I could best help her um, be able to, to not only survive, but to achieve the things that she wanted to in her life. So my mindset had to quickly adjust mm. from sort of, you know, we think about our kids and we, we you know, think about their future and when things are going as they're expected to, you know, you sort of have your eye on the future. But when this something like this happens, that becomes that future becomes murkier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to really picture it. And you become sort of immediately immersed in this present moment of sort of scary stuff um, and not knowing what's ahead. So my mindset had to shift to be able to also kind of have one eye on the future as well. And by doing that, I was able to become a better advocate for her so that I didn't get stuck in just the scary stuff and, you know, making sure that she had the best kind of support when she was able to take it around keeping her studies up, um, whether that was at home, we were unbelievably fortunate and blessed to have her in a school that a public school that was filled with like heroes that literally fell from the sky for us. I mean, a principal that bent over backwards to do whatever they could, a particular teacher named Hayden, who was um, like a fairy godfather of sorts, who came in and literally kind of wrapped his arms around her to make sure she got what she needed, whether and whether it was at home or when she was ready to even start to come back to school, um, that she, they were, they, they really, had her sort of had her back. um, And I worked with them as a team to make sure that she was cared for from an educational perspective, but also from a social perspective, that was really important for the school to make sure that her friends understood they had an assembly to help the kids understand what was happening when she was there. Um, Did you go to the assembly too? I didn't. No, I actually didn't know that it happened until recently. Oh, wow. um, my friends were like, hey, did you know in, you know, in fifth grade that we had this assembly about you and they called the whole grade down to the gym and talk about it? And I had no idea. So that was kind of a new, new thing I learned recently. But, yeah. um, you know, I think it, it enabled my peers to realize what was going on and you know obviously there was there was you know chitter chatter of where is she and she's been gone a long time and I think that helped to you know kind of clear the air and that was really needed at the time sure but we there was there was lots of stuff to put into place for her um so that she was supported from a medical perspective obviously first and foremost that was our first and biggest concern was that she was getting what she needed and again we were fortunate to be in in a, in a city that has an incredible brain tumor team actually specifically set up there. Um, really world-renowned team of neurosurgeons and neuro-oncologists and neuro everything available. So she was cared for extraordinarily well. Um, and we needed to make sure she had those other supports at home as well. So making sure that friends were involved, family were up to date and what was going on. And for us, you know, as parents, we had to learn how to ask for help, which was hard. 
Yes. Um, and something that didn't didn't come as easily as you know I, I would hope it would, but it's it's tough to ask for help. And we had to learn how to do that so that we could make sure she had and we had everything that was in place to make sure there was as much success as possible for her. Yes. You know, this is this is a great point. You you touched on so many, so many points, Karen. And you know, how do you get to that point, right? Now you you're looking for first and foremost making sure that she gets the proper care and treatments, you know, but at the same time, you have to make sure she stays on academically of some sort and then worrying about the social. And then, and then now, okay, that's that. How about the parenting? How about the, the actual feelings as a parent? You know, we see ourselves and, and our kids and, oh my goodness, I, you know, they're going to go to college and they're going to get married and then grandkids and then you get hit with something like this, and then the little negative mindset comes in. How does how does the mom deal with with all of that? It's it that was probably one of the hardest adjustments for me was shifting my mind and figuring out how to how to keep myself above water. I was terrified. I felt like physically it felt almost like the blood in my body was running cold. I, I don't know how else to better describe it. I would wake up in a panic. Um, I had never been an, I'm not an anxious person by nature, but all of a sudden anxiety was very much alive in me a, a lot of the time. And, and that you're right, that part is, is, is a change where, you know, you're looking ahead and, and dreaming of graduations and weddings and other big milestone moments and whatever that may look like for your child. And now I just want them to live. That's, that's it. That was it. Um, and unfortunately, we were seeing friends um, of Jess and other families not, not being able to do that. They were losing their children. We were in a world where that, that happened on an unfortunately too regular basis. Where really? where we were going to funerals for children um, oh. and that were children that were friends that had become close friends of Jess, of Jessica's. And so as a parent, um, having to sort of square that in, in this world that like we, it just seemed incomprehensible mm -hmm. that this is what was happening and what we were living in. Um, so part of, for me, part of that was making sure I lived in the moment in a way that I never had before. Sure. Figuring out how to really be present and grateful in the moment. Sure. Because none of us are promised a tomorrow. And that we unfortunately saw too frequently. And so we, for me, I had to, with help, um, psychological help for me, to really help me, again, shift my mindset to be able to appreciate what was right in front of me in that moment, because I didn't know what would be in the future. Um, I also started to allow myself to have glimmers of hope into the future. I didn't know what would happen, but part of my ability to be positive and to be very there for Jess was to, in, at least in my own mind, have hope that I would see something 
something in the future for her that I look forward to. It might just be feeling well. It might just be going outside to play in a way that looked great. And then over time, it started to stretch. I hope that I would see her graduate from middle school. Uh, And then when that happened, (laughs) it was, it was, it was better than anything I could have ever have dreamt before. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? It's, it's different, right? It's different. Everything, everything is different. Everything you know. is different. And then explain, talk to us about that. You know, Jess, here you are, you, you're fifth grade and these things are happening. 70 rounds of chemo. Let's talk about from the 70 rounds to the time of graduation. Like what, what, what happened now after the 70 rounds took place? Um, well, after um, my ninth round of chemo, a uh, few months had passed and, you know, I was on chemo feeling the full effects, um, you know, fatigue, nausea, pain, uh, low blood counts, um, hair thinning, hair loss. Hair loss uh, yeah. After all of that, um, I was having symptoms that were unexpected from the, the protocol I was on. Okay. Um, and one morning I woke up and I, this was shortly after my ninth round of chemo, I woke up and I remember looking down at my arm on, you know, my purple polka dot sheets and my little girl room and thinking, oh my gosh, like I I can't feel my arm. This is so bizarre. And being a 10 year old, the first thing that came into my, I guess, irrational childhood mind was someone cut my arm off. And so I got up and I walked to tell my mom uh, to wake her up and tell her that I, you know, couldn't feel my arm. And it was at that point where, you know, I saw her and she saw me that morning and I just saw her face change. And Mm -hmm. I was like, she, she knew something was wrong. And I, I wasn't getting the memo there that something was seriously wrong. Um, And I remember speaking to her and trying to, you know, explain to her what was happening and her, her telling me, I'm, I can't understand you. Oh, wow. And her finally, uh, you know, telling me to sit down, try to take some deep breaths, calm down and um, her getting on the phone and calling 911. And I remember, you know, clear as day, her saying to the 911 operator, um, I'm here with my 10 year old daughter who has a brain tumor and I think she's having a stroke. Um, and you know, I, did I know really what that was at age 10? No, I didn't. Did I, but I was, I knew enough to know that it was bad, uh, and it was really bad and it was really serious. And the paramedics showed up and, you know, rushed me to, to the, to the hospital where I had an emergency MRI scan done. And it showed that my tumor had not been responding to chemo and had actually grown quite, quite a bit. Um, and at that point, uh, my tumor that was initially deemed inoperable, there was no other choice but to have it operated on. Um, so at that point, I didn't know how risky that surgery was, was going to be. Uh, of course, my family did. And, you know, why did I need to know that to, to worry me? There was no reason for, for me to know that at that point. Um, you know, I thought it was just going to be like, like every other surgery I had, which obviously wasn't fun. And, you know, brain surgery doesn't come without risk, but I I didn't know, um, how really, really serious and life-changing that surgery was going to be. Um, thankfully, uh, I came out of it 
way better than expected. I, you know, my parents were told that I was gonna have to likely relearn how to walk and talk and possibly breathe on my own. Um, but thankfully I came out, uh, you know, multiple hours of surgery came out, woke up in the ICU and I was talking and, you know, demanding my medication and pills <laughs> and um, that's, yeah, they were able to get most of the tumor out without uh, significant damage. And yeah, since then that uh, I've been off, I've been off chemo treatment and the tumor has been stable um, size wise. It hasn't grown which has really been great. And after that, you know, obviously there was the recovery and the complications that then started to arise um, from, from the treatment and from the surgeries. I started having seizures and I was diagnosed with epilepsy and started, you know, so many medications and trial and error of medications for that. Um, and so many other complications, a growth hormone deficiency that required me to take daily injections, um, over a thousand daily injections wow. um, that I would give to myself. And it was, it was hard managing that and managing the emotional part of having to digest what I had just been through and what I was still going through and trying to reintegrate back into school because I wanted to graduate with my peers. I wanted to graduate with everyone else, I wanted to be the same and I wanted to, to not have to stay behind. And I didn't want my illness to hold me back. Everything that was going on physically with me and emotionally and academically and socially, and it was such a wild thing to balance, but I did and eventually graduation came and I graduated with, with honors from eighth grade. And it was, it was surreal. I mean, I think now thinking back of it, um, that I'm about to graduate high school, um, I don't think at the time I realized how big of a deal um, it was. So you, you go through this, you go through all of this, and, and you're having seizures and, and things like that. How do you get the courage to go, okay, I, I want to graduate. I want to get through this, you know? How do you deal with all of these things that you're happening at such a young age? You're, you're, you're young, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, to, to be completely honest, I am definitely a bit of an overachiever <laughs> and I push myself. I'm a perfectionist. I'm very, you know, type A. And so I think a big part of what led me to do that is just my personality and the way that I am kind of built, I guess. Um, but really, it was just the thought of, I just want to be like everybody else. Yes. Because you know, being a kid who has gone through cancer, that's all you want is to be like everyone else. And that was such a big thing for, for any, any child to, to graduate. And I just wanted to have that big piece of normalcy and to be able to do that with my friends and to do that at a normal time with everybody else. So Jess, what would you say to any of the youngsters out there, you know, the young gentlemen, young ladies that may be going through a cancer like this, how, how would, what would you tell them that they need to do in order to get the strength to get through it? I would say just do what you need to do and don't let anybody else tell you how 
or what you should be doing to get to where you want to be because you are in control of yourself and in control of your life and no nothing and, and nobody should be able to impact that and if you need to take breaks take breaks if you make mistakes you'll learn from them you know if you if you if anything comes up you know it's so cliche to say you know you'll get over it and you'll get through it and i'm not a fan of cliches but really when it when it boils down it, it's true and it's the truth and you you just need to looking forward and you know if I could go back and tell myself anything at that time and still I have to remind myself of this quite often is that you are not going to be the same person that you were before your diagnosis and that is something that's really hard to swallow and has taken me many years and I'm still you know learning on how, how to deal with that um, but that being said, you know, it will make you better. And again, it's another cliche, but um, it, it will. And it's okay if sometimes you feel like the brain tumor kid or you feel like the cancer kid and that sometimes over is overwhelming and it overwhelms your identity and you, you worry that, you know, is that all of who I am now? And you have to go back and remember that there may be moments where a lot of you is the cancer kid, but you know, when you take control of your situation and do whatever you can to get back to who you are and who you love to be, that will be who you are. And life, life is what you make it and you are what you make yourself. And so, you know, there will be days you get down in, in the dumps and say, you know what, I am just a cancer kid today and that sucks. Um, and other days, you know, you'll pick yourself back up and go out and do what you love and you know, try your best to get back to being yourself. And you'll say, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm me again. And a part of me is maybe the cancer kid and will always maybe be a cancer kid because I've learned from that. I've learned from the challenges and I've learned from the hardships that I've gone through and they will make me stronger and they'll make me, make me a better person. And if there is anyone in your life who fails to see you as anything else but just the cancer kid after your diagnosis, they can't see who you really are again, they're not the right person to be keeping in your life because they're gonna they're gonna be keeping you in that mindset, in that, in that world of, oh my gosh, like I am just the cancer kid when you really aren't. You are, it's a part of you, but you are so, so much more than just that. And you need to surround yourself by people who believe that. Jess, a true champion. A cancer warrior. You hear me? Man, that got me a little more emotional there. That's, you know, just it takes um, the tenacity in order to say, you know what? I'm going to fight this. You're 10 years old battling this thing and then going through your own emotional, you know, roller coaster. And it's important for anyone that's listening to this parents, kids, young people go through their own emotional roller coaster. But I want to tell you right now, Jess, you know, you're not the cancer kid, you had cancer. And you're a phenomenal human being who can empower other people to see that you've made it. And to see that you've what you had to struggle with. And to be here today. You're a phenomenal human being. 
And I'm so glad I had you on the show today. So I just want to make sure you know that, you know, you're so much more than the cancer kid. And here you are, all the worries that we talk about and, and, and mom, she was worried, not understanding what's happening. Jess, you made it. You, you willed yourself to eighth grade graduation. How was that? Talk to me. Talk to about, about that celebration because it's important, right? Would you say just little things along the way, it's important to celebrate? Would you say that? Everything. Every little thing we celebrated, like seriously everything. In, in the first little bit after my diagnosis, we had so many cakes for, for things that would maybe to most people not really deserve a cake, but they did, they did deserve a cake and they very much did get a cake. So we celebrated everything, every single little thing. And, you know, that graduation wasn't actually a little thing. And, and for anyone, even if they hadn't gone what I had gone through, it's, it's a big thing. Um, but for me, what I remember from, from that day of graduation and, you know, the time leading up to it was I didn't even think for a second about being the cancer kid or what I had gone through. At that point, I was just a kid at, their eighth, at her eighth grade graduation, you know, with my friends, wearing a really pretty dress with my makeup and my hair all done and, you know, taking all pictures with my friends and, you know, doing all the fun things that you should be doing. And being the cancer kid, honestly, didn't really cross my mind at all. Yeah. You know, Jess, we go through it, Jess. I mean, it's these ups and downs in life. And so to hear how you, you battle them. And like you said, you said to the listeners, you know what, they're going to be good days and bad days, you know, but you, you get through those. And so here we are, we fast forward, we're, we're talking eighth grade graduation, we've had the surgery since then, we're moving forward. Jess, you're a senior now, you're a 12th grade right now, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> Come on, this is it. You know, Jess, you you are you're you're getting ready to go to college, getting ready to graduate. Uh, looks like I think we talked about health sciences. You're getting ready to you know major in. How do you feel on that? It it feels really unbelievable to be honest. And a lot of the times, it it feels like imposter syndrome, like. Hmm no, I'm not, I'm not graduating high school. You know, I, I was just on my eighth grade graduation. Like, you know, like the, there's no way this is happening. And I think, you know, cancer or not, childhood struggles or not, a lot of seniors feel that way, but it adds another sort of depth to it when there were so many moments when you, when I thought to myself, you know, maybe I'm not going to even be at my eighth grade graduation. Maybe I won't, I won't be around for my eighth grade graduation. And to now be, you know, getting ready for high school graduation is, is unreal. And preparing to move to another city for, for university is just absolutely, just unbelievable, really. Like, I don't think that I have even come to terms with it enough to, <laughs> to talk about how it really feels because it's just so, so unbelievable. Oh my goodness. Absolutely phenomenal. And mom, how do you feel? How do you feel seeing your daughter? You've seen Jess, you've seen, you know her struggles, you celebrated with her, you cried with her. What does it feel like to the mom that, to see her what's about to happen now? 
I mean, there's truthfully, there's nothing, there's nothing better. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's amazing when we want to celebrate everything that our kids accomplish, but with her, I can think of nothing better. I mean, it was so hard to imagine, as I said, back then, eighth grade was as far as I could go in my mind. Um, and she got, you know, she got diagnosed in the fifth grade. So that was as far ahead as I could go. Once we got to that, I mean, I started to dare to dream that we might see 12th grade. And, you know, what what she hasn't said is that there was a lot of a lot of challenges between ninth grade and here oh. uh, and hospital stays and other these other sort of medical things that she has to deal with that are are have have occurred because of her treatments and her tumor. So she is an ongoing, she lives with ongoing stuff. And so I, you know, I just, I just don't want to, I want to make sure that it's clear that it wasn't yes. just smooth sailing for her from through high school. Yes. It, it, Speak it, on I, that. Thank, 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 thanks. Thanks, Karen, for bringing that up. And so just Karen, talk about that. Okay. So we, we get through this eighth grade and we're there. Now we're getting ready to do this next stretch how how is the symptoms um the tr the treatments if there is if there is any more treatments what's happening between that time i mean i'm still being monitored very very closely by my neurosurgery and neuro-oncology teams um, tumor wise getting mri scans very very uh frequently um to to make sure there's no progression or growth in in the disease um, but, you know, aside from that, there is other things that I'm dealing with as a result of my tumor and its treatments. And I am just one of the many, many um, people who go through childhood cancer treatment who, who deal with long-term effects of, of their disease or of their treatment. Um, and for me, that is epilepsy and being on medication for epilepsy and uh, anti-epileptic medications are not, you know, always smooth sailing. They are, they're hard, hardcore uh, medications, um, but thankfully I'm doing very well uh, with them right now. And uh, recently I've been diagnosed with a condition called dysautonomia, which is basically a fancy word for uh, saying that my autonomic nervous system cannot control itself uh, well. Um, I cannot adequately regulate my heart rate, my blood pressure, body temperature, um, at sometimes uh, blood sugar levels. And it's very, very difficult. And that poses um, a lot of symptoms, dizziness, fatigue, weakness, fainting, mm. uh, a lot, a lot of stuff um, for which I'm also on medication for now and being very closely monitored for. Um, but, you know, with that, there's also chronic fatigue and chronic uh, neuropathic pain that I have to deal with. Um, and, you know, none of those things are easy. And they, they obviously take away from being, you know, just a high schooler and going back to doing the things that I love and they, they've hindered me in many ways from, from doing that. But, um, you know, I, I still live with it and, you know, I, I keep on keeping on and, you know, I, I take my medications in my pill box, like, uh, like a little old grandma 
and uh, <laughs> I just I just go with the flow, you know. You just gotta take it in stride, and uh, you know I make a lot of jokes about things. So you know I take I take my pillbox, and I'm grateful for it. So absolutely, absolutely, Jess, and you know none of that is easy to go through. You know, high school, Jess, as, as you know, it's, it's probably one of the most critical growth factors as you go through, you know, because you're now you're this teenager and you're going through this whole identity and people are trying to be the cool kids. And I, I know all about that stuff, Jess. So, I, you know, I understand that. And so to go through that, you know, it again, just me, myself, you know, that the tenacity and your resilience to be a fighter, to have the strength and the courage to take this thing head on and to go and to be into and be in school and to go through it with your peers, knowing what you've gone through. Do you see that as courage? I guess I've, I've never really thought about it that way. Um, I just, I guess, see myself as being like any other kid, just with a little extra stuff going on. And everyone has their own stuff, um, but this is my stuff. And I guess, you know, in hindsight, I could be a little nicer to myself mm -hmm. um, about all that. Um, and it's definitely something that I will try to be better at going forward and recognizing that you know, what, what I do isn't always the easiest and I should maybe take it easy sometimes. Um, but you know, that's not really my thing. So. Yeah, I know Jess, I, I'm the same way, you know, I, I'm, you know, for everyone else, you know, let me, let me ask that to you, Jess, like if you've seen one of your friends who you love and they were going through what you're going through and you've seen them, they were taking their pills and they were going through, you know, brain tumors and healthy surgeries and they were feeling down with themselves. What would you say to them? I would give it to them straight, you know, like you are doing incredible, incredible things. And, you know, I do have friends, you know, from the hospital and that are, that are going through similar things as me. And, you know, we try to like hype each other up and, and you know, say those things to each other, but it is, it is hard to say those things to yourself. And that, that's definitely something I've always struggled with. And my, my mom has always said that exact question, you know, what would you say to someone else if they were going through that? And I would say, you know, something really nice. And then she was like, oh, why can't you say that to yourself? And it's like, I can't say that to myself. <laughs> like, so, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's hard to, to be nice to yourself, but yeah. um, I recognize that it is important and it's something that I definitely got to work on a little bit harder. For sure. For sure. You know, it's something that we all do, Jess, even now, you know, even now as an adult, we, we do that, you know, and I, I, I frequently ask that, you know, what would Kenny Perkins say to the little boy inside? you know, talk to that little guy, you know, and the way I would talk to him is much different than I would talk to myself as you just, as you just mentioned, you know, so I love, I love your strength and whether you know that or not, you are a courageous soul, you know, and I just love that about you. 
you know, it's, it's amazing. So talk to us, Jess, you, you're, you're here, you've made it to this point, not with ease, but you know what, Jess, you made it, you made it to this point. And so talk to us about some of the things that Jess values. What's, what's important to Jess that are, are extremely valuable to you? I would say people. People are important to me. The people that I love, my family, my friends, and people in general, people who I don't know who are facing hard things and being treated as different and not being treated equally as they should be in society. And, you know, I advocate not only for patients, childhood cancer patients, but for anyone else, you know, going through something, marginalized groups, inequalities, inequities, you know, and I am very passionate about that, about that everyone, you know, no matter what gender, sexual identity, race, anything, socioeconomic status, it doesn't matter, everyone should be treated equally and everyone should be treated the same. And, you know, I, I live that day in and day out and I will, I will fight for that, you know, in, until, until the very end, uh, until everyone is equal and everyone, everyone's on the, on the same level. Um, and that, that is really something that, that is important to me and that I try very, very hard to advocate for in, in a sustainable way. Yes. So thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. And again, it gives an insight into who you are as a person you know, in your character. Just love that. Karen, you've done a good job. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a bit player in, in, the, in this particular act here. Yeah. He's the star, that's for sure. You know, it, it, it gives us courage, you know. So Karen, talk to us about, as, you, as we are here now, present, you know, what is it that you value most? I'm, I value, I value time, um, whatever time we have. And I, you know, that for me has changed drastically over these last many years with Jess after her diagnosis, being able to really, truly, truly value what we're given um, and not taking any, any of it for granted. And, you know, and trying to remind myself that on a very regular basis to not take any of it for granted. Um, so like she said, you know, lots of, there's been lots of cakes and lots of celebrations and, and, you know, the whole world is being turned upside down this last year and a bit. And we continue to live by that um, through this, through this pandemic, that there's always something to celebrate. We look for it. Um, I, I value that. I value having the people around me that are willing to have a piece of cake whenever there's one due that we figured that so that's for me that's for me the biggie everything else after that is gravy yes yes i love that and thank you ladies so much for sharing you know so tell our listeners here what what is next on the agenda what are we doing now what is life like what is life like now for jess I mean, I'm, I'm moving on to post-secondary education and um, 
hoping to continue my education after that. Um, but I really, really hope to continue and uh, continue to work very tirelessly on my advocacy um, and fundraising efforts um, in the pediatric cancer community and in the chronic illness community, um, sharing not only my story, um, but the stories of others and being able to empower others because through social media, uh, the past you know few years that I've been I've been doing that on social media, I I've realized the impact that it makes and. I've had parents reach out to me and say, you know, my toddler has a brain tumor or my baby, my infant has a brain tumor and, you know, they can't articulate how they're feeling. But when I, you know, when I read your posts and I, I read what it's like for, for you to, to go through what you go through or what you went through when, when you were younger, you know, I feel like now I know how to better support my child. Um, going through what they're going through. And that is just so, so powerful to know that I've made that impact. And not only that, but to, to let other patients um, know that they're not alone and family members that they're not alone. And, you know, teaching just the general public, even if they don't have any, you know, experience with, with cancer, um, if one day they do have to go through that, and I hope I hope they don't, but they will, you know, know how to support others, a loved one, a friend, a colleague, um, how, how to support them going while, while they're going through that. So it's, it's very important. And also just to show the world that cancer is not what it's made out to be in the media. Um, I think a lot of times it's romanticized uh, especially pediatric cancer, you know, you, you turn on the TV and you, you see commercials for, for pediatric cancer and you see, you know, little, very cute, smiling, bald children and that, that is not what it is. Um, it's raw and it's real and it's emotional uh, and it's, it's hard and it's heartbreaking. And, um, you know, I try to share the reality of that uh, in a way that is digestible for people. We thank you for that. We thank you for that. You know, and we need more Jesses out there in the world advocating. You know, it's a privilege. It's a privilege having you ladies on the show and really explaining what it was like on your journey and then giving the listeners and those that are um, tuning in, you know, tools that they can utilize and seeing how you overcame some of these obstacles. And even though you are going through uh, continuous obstacles, how your mindset works. And that is so powerful, you know. And so now, Jess, how, how old are we as of today? I'm 17 right now. 17, you know, seven years later, here we are, right, doing it. Anything yeah. you'd like to say to the listeners before, before we before we end keep on being you and don't don't let anyone else tell you how to do that be you know deeply and authentically you and and don't change i love that thank you so much jess for joining us karen thank you thank you giving us the insight of 
you know, what it's like as a mother to go through this. You know, both of you guys are, are phenomenal uh, human beings and I'm so glad that I had a chance to meet both of you, you know. Thank you for having us. Thank you, it was amazing. Absolutely. Thank you for doing what you do to help uh, help others understand what people are going through. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. So I hope you picked up on some of the gems today. You know, Jess, she talked about how important it was to be surrounded by family and friends during a time of difficulty. You know, she recalled after her first surgery that her family and her friends, they surrounded her and it was what she needed, even though things were not um, where they needed to be, right? Even though she, she still needed other surgeries and, and things came up, she said that being around the, her family and friends is what she appreciated. Another gem I hope you picked up on is that learn to be nice to yourself. You know, she talked about she's going to be the cancer kid and she's a little hard on herself at times, but she also turned around and said, you know what? She's still learning to be nice to herself at times and to really see how far she's come. And she hesitated. She hesitated when, he, when I asked her about courage. But when you look at what Jess has gone through and how she continuously fought and never gave up, she was courageous. And she also mentioned as, a, as another gem, she said, authentically be yourself, you know, be true to yourself. And I say, you know, even as an adult, we have problems to do that at times, right? But here we are, little Jess, you know, at 10 years old being diagnosed and going through this. No one knew in her family what the situation would be, but she got through the eighth grade graduation. And then from there, she went through high school and going through high school was not easy. It wasn't easy, but you have to be yourself along the way and not forget who you are. And if I can make sure that uh, you, get that, you get that message, I will definitely do that. What a great show, what a great phenomenal guest. And I hope you walk away with so many gems. Those are three I extracted, but oh, there's so many more. So again, I wanna thank everyone who tuned in today. Here's where you will find up-to-date cancer discussions with industry experts and leading professionals that can help you in your cancer fight. You are not alone in this. We are in this together. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy, and until again, I'm out.